From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. It's all about the Fed, but certainly retail sales, I think, will be interesting. Hopefully, we can get a real gain, you know, an inflation-adjusted gain in in retail sales, and the consumer continues to uh, hold up. But um, again, it's, you know, what to watch this week. It's Fed, 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 and more Fed. Hi, everybody. We're back. The latest LPL Market Signals podcast with Ryan and Jeff. Jeff, I will say there's a pretty big storm going on right now. So if I lose power in the middle of this podcast, can you just fly solo without me? I can do that. But let's hope uh, the power stays and everybody's safe down there. Uh, I know uh, it was dangerously windy in Chicago yesterday. I saw that. didn't realize you guys were getting hit down there in Charlotte. Yeah, there's a little storm coming through. I mean, so let's see, two, it's, it's all a blur. I flew to New York City two days ago uh, for a work thing, so I was on Sunday, and we were in the air for over three hours. It's supposed to be like an hour and 20. We apparently went, like, I think to Utah <laughs> to avoid the storm, and then come all the way back. We're flying from Charlotte, by the way, so it's a joke. We went way left. Um, but anyway, it was it was crazy. The the, 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 um, the stewardess on the, on the plane said that was the longest. She does that all day, every day. Charlotte to New York, Charlotte to New York. She says the longest she's ever been in the air on a flight from for that one. So lucky wow. me, you know, but I, 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 full disclosure, I got bumped to first class. So I didn't care. Let me sit in first class and I'll, I'll enjoy myself up there. Um, <laughs> let all people in the back worry about the problems. But anyway, so Jeff, uh, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. And obviously, um, you know, we're aware of what's going on with markets, right? It is, it is, it's getting ugly out there. Um, we are officially in a bear market as of yesterday for the S&P 500 down over 20% from the January 3rd, um, Closing last all-time high on January 3rd feels a long time ago, and it was about over five months ago. So we're going to talk about the bear market. We're going to start, though, talk, taking a look at inflation. That kind of was the thing that really kicked it all off, right? The CPI number came in on Friday, hotter than expected once again. Lots of different things, costing more than a lot of people expected, and that kicked off that big selling. We've had 1% drop four days in a row on the S&P 500. Honestly, I don't know the exact number today. I get a chance to look, but that's one of the longest streaks we've ever seen in a long time. So we've seen four days in a row down at least 1%. Then we're going to talk about the bear market. It arrived. Is the worst over? What could happen next? How close are we to find, finding some type of a decent size low or decent low? And then the uh, Fed preview. Um, I mean, a lot of people think the Fed's behind the eight ball. We keep hearing they're going to hike even more uh, tomorrow when, when the Fed meets. We'll get into all of that. All right, so Jeff, you put the deck together for me. We've got a little cartoon here. Why don't you take it away? I, I, I love cartoons, and you put it together. So explain this to the YouTube listeners, and maybe even the people not on YouTube, you know, verbally. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a great way to capture what's going on, right? The, as the inflation balloon gets blown up more and more, uh, the economy, you know, that's this guy who starts out very muscular and ends up very skinny. Uh the, the life gets sucked out of the economy, right? So that's that's what's going on. Effectively, you know, you've got, you went from good economy with no inflation to tougher, more challenging economy with a ton of inflation, right? Highest inflation in 40 years. So, um, you know, this is the key to getting this market turned around. It's going to take a little bit of time, of course, uh, but uh, we really need to see inflation cool off. And it did not, uh, certainly in, uh, in May, as we saw in, in Friday's CPI. Now, now you, I got to go back to this picture for a second. Again, if you're on YouTube, you see what we're talking about. You said that's a muscular guy. I'd almost say he's a, he's a little, a little round. I mean, that means I'm like a bodybuilder, Jeff, if that guy's considered muscular. Well, I, I guess you could yeah. debate whether that bulge is in his chest or in his belly. It's kind I of do. in between. 
Okay. So Stein. we'll call him. How about Stocky? There you, go. Stocky oh, guy. there you go. Okay. Hey, hey this is, we're going to talk about stocks and equity. So I like that. So let's, let's get into it though, Jeff. Um, you know, the CPI number did come in on Friday, hotter than expected. We've had time to think about it. I know the PPI just came in before you and I started recording. That seemed to be a little bit better news, but you had some time to think about the uh, CPI number that again, really, it seemed to catch, I, I'll just put it like this. It seemed to catch the market off guard because we had a vicious sell-off on Friday, huge follow-through. We were down 5% actually on Thursday and Friday, one of the worst final two days of a week we've ever seen. And usually you see some follow-through on Monday with the huge sell-off we saw yesterday. By the way, one more comment on yesterday. Like 98% of stocks in the S&P 500 were down yesterday on Monday. 99% of the volume was down. And a crazy stat, 99.9% .9 of all of the shares, um, you know, up or down, were, were, were down. Not, not so, just a bloodbath. Just a bloodbath is probably the best way to put it. Um, you know, Jeff, so that's yesterday. But talk to me about CPI, inflation, uh, how surprising Friday was, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the key um, argument for the bulls is that or has been that inflation's peaked and is poised to, to come down, right? And so Friday's report really flew in the face of that. Uh, the um, you know consensus was for um, for it to come down. You know, kind of had this trajectory from eight three to eight one, and this is headline, which doesn't mean as much as core, in my view. But you know, that sort of trajectory was expected to continue potentially. At least that's what the bulls were hoping and. And they didn't get it. We went the other way up to eight six, and the market will just have to wait another month or two to see uh, more evidence that inflation's coming down. Um, it wasn't all bad news, right? Because the durable, you know, the goods portion of CPI did come down. That is put in a steady decline. Um, I think we've got that on the next slide. And then um, you've also got, you know, PCE is not out yet. The Fed's preferred inflation measure. Core personal consumption expenditures, core PCE, excluding food and energy. That comes out on June 30th. Hopefully that'll be better. Um, certainly it's hard to have much confidence it'll get better <clears throat> given we just saw a bad CPI number, but hopefully it'll at least remain stable. Um, and then, uh, you know, once we get June numbers reported in July, um, we can get uh, better news. This durables inflation is going to come down. Um, you know, you're going to have retailers marking down product. Right, that certainly helps. You've talked a lot about car prices coming down. You know, some of these areas within goods were, you know, they just got overheated uh, because of the pandemic spending. That it's logically going to come out. You know, the other side of it though is that services inflation is going to go higher. Right. Um, you just experienced that with airline ticket prices, right? That's an example of a services price that um, might not come down right away. Yeah. So. I get to go to Nashville quite often because it's a fun town that has, we have events, LPL, lots of events in Nashville. Long story short, from Charlotte to Nashville, I used to get a ticket consistently 200 bucks, maybe less. I mean, now it's my recent time I did it, I think it was up over four, maybe even 500. Uh, so again, you're feeling that. Now here's some, I don't know if there is, it is what it is, some stats on last week's um, CPI number. Let me see it here. Food prices up 1% five straight months. Dairy up month over month, the highest since 2007. Groceries up 1.4%. Uh, new vehicles up 1% month over month. Used vehicles, which had come down, 
this one surprised people, up 1.8% month over month after dropping three, three straight months. Um, you know, gasoline, not surprisingly. I can't even fill my car up anymore using a debit card because every, every gas station I go to has a $75 limit. Uh, I filled my car up probably to 90% yesterday. Now, yeah, I could use a credit card, I guess. But um, if you use a debit card, most gas stations won't let you fill your car up anymore, at least if you have an SUV. So gasoline up over 4% month over month. I mean, I went through it all. I mean, Jeff, I think what just got so many people about this uh, on Friday was it's like everything. Like all the stuff that you know we were hoping, hope's not a strategy, we are hoping was going to peak, just hasn't yet. Um, you know, we've been talking about some signs of positive. You know, used car prices have come down. You look at fertilizer prices, they've come down. Shipping costs have come down. There is some potential light at the end of the tunnel, but, you know, tell that to somebody who goes to the grocery store and, you know, when they're buying milk and it costs way more than it used to and eggs and cheese and all, all the stuff or you can't even fill up your car using your debit card anymore because there's a $75 limit. Um, you know, it, it just, it's, it's, um, it's something, and the market is acting accordingly. You know, with uh, with the worry, we're going to talk about the Fed soon, but likely it means the Fed's going to keep hiking rates. Jeff, let's talk a little bit more about the PCE and the CPI because the uh, core PCE is the Fed's favorite measure of inflation, as we we say. Um, it is significantly lower though than CPI, which is like over eight percent. The, the core PCEs, you know, ballpark uh, or the core PCEs, like five percent. What's the big difference between those two? Because I'm not even hundred percent sure. Why is that? Yeah. Our um, our economist tells me, Jeffrey Roach, that um, the PCE um, factors in actual purchases and substitutions between right. categories, right? So if the consumer trades down uh, to a different product because the original product is too expensive, that's captured. CPI just takes a fixed basket of goods and calculates the average prices, doesn't take into account what people are actually buying. So uh, PCE is a is a more realistic uh, take on on what people are actually buying and experiencing uh, it, you know, in, in terms of their purchases. Now, that doesn't take away from the fact that prices for food and energy are sky high, right? Surging. We all know it. In fact, people who are shopping and filling up their car weren't surprised at all by the hot CPI on Friday. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, the, the PCE certainly give, you know, we care about what the Fed cares about. And, and clearly the big risk for the markets is that the Fed over tightens, potentially sends us into recession. The fact that the PCE can stable, core PCE can you know, potentially stabilize in this sort of 5% range uh, is, is pretty positive because we could, you know, start this decline maybe July, hopefully. Maybe August, and then you got you know got maybe a three and a half four percent number potentially by the end of the year if if we get some relief on all of these things. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you mentioned you know substitutes, and that's the, the what the difference between the PCE and the CPI is. I'm going to have to ask Jeffrey Roach why I can get a substitute to paying five bucks a gallon for gasoline. I I'm looking for that place. I don't. They'll know tell you to ride a ride a bike. Yeah, well, you know what? It's true. And I live in South Carolina. Like, gas is actually relatively cheap. You look on a map, like, it's, it's fairly cheap in South Carolina relative to other places. What are you paying up in uh, Boston, if I can ask, Jeff? Um, what's yeah, the five, to get there? it's just barely got to five bucks. So I think we're right around the uh, national average. That's not bad. I, I was 460 yesterday in South Carolina, so um, that's not uh, not too bad. Well, yeah, it we, is bad, I guess. It's all relative. but We do a little better than maybe some might think. We're obviously uh, not quite close to the source of the energy in this country.
Yeah, under, understood. So, all right, Jeff, so let's see, do we have anything else? I don't know, any, any other final comments on inflation? We kind of covered a lot. I don't have too much to add. Anything you want to add before we talk about the bear market? Well, just don't forget that the inflation problem is largely supply-driven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of that is related to Ukraine and COVID. And these, we, we certainly hope these things go away real soon. Um, but uh, you just don't know, right? So right. we're just going to have to wait just like the Fed's in a tough spot, just gonna have to wait it out. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you know, if there can be any good news on the front war front, and I have no other information than the rest of us, and it does feel like we're getting closer, but who knows, maybe there could be something that breaks through. That could be a very positive catalyst to start to kind of relieve uh, some of these pressures. And, you know, I mean, it is what it is, right? About a whole ballpark a year ago, Omicron gets really bad. China goes on shutdown. That Those are surprises that came kind of I wouldn't say out of the blue, but they they were surprises, right? And they've kept prices high and then the terrible war in Ukraine and, and these things have happened and it is what it is. And then we're still feeling the impacts from, from a lot of these, which is a great point. A lot of it is supply driven. So Jeff, the bear market is officially here. We've been talking about you know, bear markets and near bear markets. Um, maybe it was three Fridays ago, maybe, or maybe four, I forget exactly, but we were down 20% intraday, had a really big rally. I think it was because I was on CNBC around 140, talked a little bit, and the market had a huge rally. But it, it was it 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 um it rolled back over, and again after a five percent plus drop Thursday, Friday. And one more comment, maybe on inflation. What was interesting, Scott Brown and I, Scott Brown's our technician on the team, and we we do another uh, video series on YouTube called Five Charts with LPL Research. We talked about how on Thursday, really markets were going sideways for like two weeks before this big inflation number. Something happened Thursday afternoon where the dam broke and stocks sold off hard. And then the next day you had the CPI number come out and then it was all bets off and we sold off hard. Makes one wonder if the stock market somehow got wind or made a made an accurate assumption that that number is going to be weak. But it's interesting, the last hour or so Thursday really started all this. But again, we are officially in a bear market, Jeff. I mean, what the one thing I want to point out is I think it's felt like a bear market way before just yesterday, right? You're meeting S&P 500 stock down like well over 30%, average S&P 500 stock down around 30%, small caps down a lot more. The NASDAQ's down, what, 31%? Half of the NASDAQ is down like 60 70%. Um, so it probably has felt like a bear market way before we're officially in one, but I think it's just important to uh, to point that out. Jeff, um, yeah, I know you, you added some really cool charts. I mean, any big picture things on, the, on going into the bear market before we talk about some of the numbers and what it all can mean? Yeah, well, first, I mean, we've all been looking for capitulation, right? Evidence that sellers are being indiscriminate, right? Just selling at any price, panic selling. And, you know, the VIX got up to over 35 yesterday. That's pretty close to the level at which you start to think a major low is in. Um, We know sentiment is awful, right? You know, the worst consumer confidence report ever, going back to like, I think, 1978, um, that's really hard to believe, but sentiment is just awful. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think, you know, we, you know, they don't ring a bell at the, at the bottom, right? But we're getting really close. We're sort of starting to check some of these boxes. You mentioned how many stocks were down. It was a 45 to one, yeah. I think down day, right? So, or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, you know, the, the volume was 99% down. That mm-hmm. that feels to me like we're, we're close. I mean, and then next few slides, you know, I can share more thoughts on what this bear market will look like eventually, um, you know, how much further it could go and how much longer it might last. But um, at this point, it feels like we're, um, 
you know, we've sort of taken the first step or two toward carving out a bottom and maybe there's only another step or two left. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're somewhat limited. We can talk about here, but there's been a very, very big sell off in uh, crypto and crypto markets over $3 trillion back in November, less than a trillion dollars now. I mean, you know, is some of this connected with some of the weakness? You're worried about who's on the other side of some of these trades with the implosion that we've seen in that market, adding to the uncertainty we're seeing in the stock market. And honestly, you mentioned consumer confidence. You look at some of the confidence numbers on the stock market. Yeah, near historical lows, not too surprisingly. Confidence in bonds also. People aren't very confident about bonds, right? Because bonds have had a really rough year. You talk about yesterday, Jeff. I mean, just a little bit more about yesterday. They want me to dive in. Like we said, like 99% of stocks down, 99.9% of all the points on the Dow were down. Um, you know, just a, just a bloodbath. You think about it though, crude oil was up yesterday. All right. Yet energy was down, energy stocks, I should say, were down like over 6%. Energy's had this great run. Real estate, which had been doing well, one of the leaders, it, it is just getting lit up. So now they're kind of going after some of the previous leaders, which Jeff, my question to you, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we got to sell everything before we can form a bottom. And with energy getting hammered yesterday with crude oil actually higher, barely, but higher, um, is that one more maybe baby step we need for, again, capitulation to happen? Absolutely. That's another part of that process, right? You need to, um, you know, the soldiers and the generals need to go down, I guess you could say, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the leaders, you know, a lot of people have pointed to Apple as one of the last stocks to enter a bear market. Uh, and certainly there are other, you know, members of this FANG or FAN MAG co uh, complex that you could point to. Uh, it, it's pretty much the case that nothing's been spared. And that, yes, that is part of this uh, uh, bottoming process, no doubt. Yeah, so this is real time. This is how the sausage is made. Like literally I'm looking at my phone from the time you and I started this, we started 16, 17 minutes ago. I've had four different texts from people. All right, I didn't even look at it. Some of them maybe are goofy texts, but I, I'm getting just nonstop. You talk about the, the people you haven't heard from for years that know, but yeah, Jim, my buddy Jim Kramer quoted me on CNBC this morning. A couple people pointed that out. So thank you, Jim, for that. But, you know, like still the people I'm hearing from, you talk about the contrarian indicator. My goodness gracious, it is uh, it is flashing. Um, and just keep your phones charged because there's a lot of a lot of talk going around. So, Jeff, let's see. OK, so, oh, we do have this on, on the YouTube channel. Uh, rates respond to inflation, big breakout developing. And then I guess we've got some more bear market stuff. What did you want to point out on this one with the 10? year yield again on the verge of a major breakout yeah i mean this is this is the translation of inflation to the bear market right mm -hmm. rates yeah. it's about the fed it's about rates it's about the yield curve it's about you know the cost of credit all these things uh the bond market is really really important and so you know we talked about this at our um investment committee meeting yesterday right the 10-year yield is breaking out or poised to break out to levels that it hasn't seen in over a decade. Um, and um, it, you know, it hasn't, I don't know exactly how technicians define it, but making higher highs essentially hasn't made higher highs in multiple decades, right? Yeah. Um, just been a steady downtrend um, for a very long time. So this, you know, technicians might say 4% on the 10 years in play not sure about that, but um, certainly um, it's easy when you look at this chart, if you have a, a technical background to say that this could get uh, a little bit worse. So we, this is why the inflation data is so important. We really need stability there. We really need the market to see the end of the Fed rate high campaign and start to price that in. 
uh, and then you you could you know potentially see this thing roll over. Lawrence Gillum, our fixed income strategist, thinks that we will get some relief on the tender yield later in the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you you talked about something I wanted to point out. For 40 years, all right, the 10-year yield has been pretty much trending lower. All of a sudden, right now, we've got the first higher high in 40 years on the on the 10-year uh, yield. A lot of people sharing some of these charts on, on social media. So again, you know, there, there could be something bigger brewing there, but just on a year-over-year -year basis or last couple of years, that is a very, very stretched rubber band. So maybe the path could be a little higher, you know, uh, in the inter intermediate term, but in the very near term, that is a very stretched rubber band. And, you know, a little, little pullback would probably be uh, be well um, well, well received. Well, let me glance at that. So 2011. So we're right about the 2011 peak on the 10 year. So you could argue maybe potentially if there's some price memory there, it could be a little time for a little pause. But again, first higher, higher in 40 years, not something we probably want to ignore. So once a bear market begins, bottoming can come fast or painfully slow. We are sharing on the YouTube channel uh, kind of how once you go into a bear, how long it might take for the bottom. Again, the bear started yesterday. So how long it might take? Jeff, it took 11 days during the pandemic to make the ultimate low. We dropped about another 10% ballpark. Time before, on July 9th, 2008, went into a bear, didn't form that bottom until, as we all know, March 9th, 2009, 243 more days for another 45, wow, 45% drop. Let's hope we don't do that. Are we gonna be somewhere in the middle, I guess? What's your take? Somewhere between another 10% down or 45%, 11 days or 243 days? What, do you, what are you thinking here? Yeah, you know, this feels a little bit more like uh, an 87 kind of event where we just have a pretty quick response to um, the risk of a Fed policy error that can be alleviated, you know, maybe not in a month, but mm -hmm. can be alleviated over the course of several months. So, it's of course hard to predict. We don't know where oil's going. Sure. We don't know where ag prices are going. Um, but if you make the case that inflation is going to be falling in a few months, that could certainly complete this bottoming process. And uh, you know that that could be the end of your um, of your bear market, or at least that could start your ascent back to um, you know the prior highs. So yeah, maybe maybe I. Could also just respond to your question by saying, yes, this probably feels about average, but maybe a little bit better than average because mm -hmm. the economic environment is pretty good heading into this. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's not forget this bull market gained 114% from March 2020 lows until the January uh, peak earlier this year. 114%. It was the fastest bull market in history to ever double. And one of the things we've talked before about is you look at all these different bear markets. Four out of 12 now have died, I'm going to say, or maybe we'll say ended, during the third year of their bull market. Because year one and two, you get these big rallies. Year three, things get a little choppy. And again, you know, technically 2011, we pulled back 19.9% 20 intraday. We never quite got officially a bull market. That was kind of that choppy year three. So again, we're going to share some other charts and discussions here where we think we're relatively close to a pretty significant low um, in this bear market. But again, usually, you know, once you hit the bear, you can have a little bit more weakness. And don't forget, we've talked a lot about this. Scott Brown's been all over this saying, listen, 
midterm years don't tend to bottom on average. This is average. This is on average until September or August, August or September. All, median, the median's in September. The average the bottom's in August, like August 14th. Something we have pointed out many times um, lately at LPL Research to our advisors. It's one of those things. Ah, let's not forget this. So maybe we can get a little bounce in the summer. We are historically oversold. You mentioned sentiment, Jeff. Um, the Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Actually, no, it's just called the Bank of America now. Uh, Global Fund Manager Survey. Lowest expectations on the economy ever. <laughs> That's people that manage a lot of money. Lowest expectations of economic growth ever this is going forward, economic growth. I mean, that's that's not great, but my goodness, you talk about lowering a bar, you know, it's hard to fall. You know, what, what's the old saying, Jeff? It's hard to fall out of a basement window. That is about as low on the economy as you can get. Things aren't great, but we can get some any better news that can be priced in and maybe we can form again, a uh, market low. Um, so Jeff, let's go to the next slide. What do we have here? Uh, recoveries from bear markets can take less than a year. This is just a list of all the bear markets since uh, 1950 and how long they take. And Jeff, the key thing is we, we I, I did this chart a little bit ago. 22% um, was kind of an interesting number. If you're worse than 22%, not surprisingly, it takes longer to make up those losses. If you keep it less than 22, it doesn't take as long. We're right about 22. So that's an important number looking back. What, what do you want to add to uh, how long it could take to recover these losses? Got to make a low first, but to recover the losses when we do that. Yeah, so when, when you look back at these bear markets, um, you know, the the economic uncertainty we had before, I mean, it's it's not comparable, like, you know, the financial crisis, right? I mean, you just, you didn't know what companies were going to be out of business tomorrow, right? It, it was just a different feel, and you didn't come into that with consumer and business balance sheets as strong as they are, right? There were no lending, there were no lending standards heading into it. It's totally different now. We, I mean, consumers are just drowning in cash. Now that cash is, you know, it might be all used up in a year or two, but they're drowning in cash right now. We'll see what happens with inflation. So this is just a much better economic environment uh, that we're starting from and consumers can't afford to pay these higher prices, at least for now. The, it's really hard for the lower income consumers, but consumers as a whole can actually afford to pay these prices for a while. So this is, this is a good economic foundation. Uh, if you're going to have a, downturn like this, you might as well start from a position of strength. So, um, you know, that tells me that this is not going to be one of those long drawn out, you know, multi-year bear markets where, um, you know, we're still sort of wondering which companies are going to go out of business in, in 2023 or 2024. It's just not that. It's an inflation problem. Uh, it's based on a lot of temporary factors that are supply driven uh, that, um, frankly, people probably won't remember two or three years from now. Yeah, so again, I'm, I'm going by memory here, but we're down over 20% year to date on the S&P, you know, as, at least as of yesterday. And you look in history, that's one of the worst years ever. That would be one of the worst years ever. Long way to go. You'd argue that's maybe a good thing or a bad thing. There's a long way to go this year. But so not surprisingly, you know, 2008, 2001, uh, 1973, 74, the recessionary years were the worst ones ever, right? That's just how this works. So Jeff, again, the key concept, if we can avoid a recession, we're down 20 something percent now, a little more actually, you know, we avoid a recession this year, which is still our base case. Jeffrey Roach talked about that two weeks ago in our recent weekly market commentary. It's a slowdown, yes, but not a recession. It feels incredibly uncomfortable to say this to someone who's feeling it and going through it. 
This could be an opportunity for a pretty big spring back. Do we go all the way back to positive, make you highest point of the year? That's a long way away. Probably not. But hey, maybe we finish a year down five or 10% where we are right now. That could probably feel like a big win. And final comment for me on this, after the last three bear markets, we recovered those losses in four months. That was uh, 2011. In four months, that was the big sell-off in 20, December 2018. And then five months after the last recession. Now, normally it takes like 19 months to make up losses after bear market. It takes a while. Just be aware, the last couple of times, though, we did pretty quickly. Now, Jeff, uh, what happens the day after? Well, no, is this? Yes, this one. Uh, what happens the day after you start a bear, right? So we started the bear yesterday. What happens next? Talk to me about this one. I, I love this one. Yeah, this is this is great. You get a uh, really strong bounces off of these bear market lows. So, um, well, not even bear market lows, Jeff. This is the day the bear starts. We don't know when the low. Yeah, is. yeah, that's like right. The day it starts. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. right. But the these gains come from obviously after the lows, even yeah, though you go true. down a little bit more after the bear market starts. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's when you know I'm a fundamental guy, right? So that's when valuations are cheapest. That's when the market is pricing in the most pessimism, the market tends to overreact on the downside and then starts to unwind these massive discounts, the fear of recession, the fear of big cuts to earnings estimates, the fear of a credit event, right? All of those things, they just typically unwind as the issues get fixed. Some take a little longer than others, but they get fixed. And then you have these massive bounces. So um, even capturing the you know, the move from the bear market, the start of the bear market to the bottom and, and then the subsequent rally off of that bottom, you still have 24% median gains over the next 12 months, 14% average. And if you look at when this doesn't work, right? 73 and 2008, those are probably the two worst environments for the US economy in my lifetime, Yeah. <laughs> right? And so you're talking about, again, where you didn't know which companies were gonna survive um, it's a very different environment um, right now. And in the 70s, you had you know inflation higher than now the whole decade, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. We're not going to have a negative 8.6% inflation on the CPI. It's just not going to happen. So this environment is much better than those. So um, this is really um, reassuring, I think, to folks. No, you're, you're right. So you know, what we're sharing on the YouTube channel is uh, 10 recent um, bear markets. And one year later, what happened? Seven out of 10 times a year after the bear started. So, again, that would be starting the clock yesterday. Seven out of 10 times, higher a year later, about 15% average, median 24. The only three that were negative were 73, 74, the tech bubble, and again, the financial crisis. So, again, you think those three times weren't great times for investing, weren't great times for the economy. Um, you know, if you can avoid a recession or maybe even have a mild recession, who knows, maybe a little mild recession, maybe not the end of the world. We're pricing in. So, Jeremy Stiegel, big fan of his, been on his radio show before. He's saying, listen, the market's pricing in a recession. I don't think anyone's going to fool themselves by what we're seeing, some of the destruction that's out there. So, maybe we have a minor one. It's not our base case. Maybe we do have a minor recession sometime in. 2023. We're kind of pricing that in. So maybe if it's better than the minor recession that's being priced in, that could be a positive catalyst too. Sometimes the stock market and the economy don't always jive. So just bottom line for people listening and are really worried, if you buy the day a bear market starts, unless you have a really catastrophic event like 73, 74, tech bubble or financial crisis, which we don't see, you're probably going to be higher a good deal six to 12 months later. So just remember that. So Jeff, this is a, this is a great slide. Uh, again, maybe on a YouTube channel, you can see, well, you can see it on the YouTube channel, but it described to me, I didn't see you put this together. I, I loved it. Possible catalysts for uh, positive 
And then clearly key concerns. And you've got, what is it, three, I don't know, like 12, that six and six, if my math is right? Yeah, yeah six and six. So talk to us a little bit about um, what, could, what could be driving the market, either good or bad, going forward here. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I won't go through all of them, but market needs confidence that inflation is coming down and that the, you know, the Fed is going to stop its rate hiking campaign before it drives us into a, a, a recession. So it's not easy, but that is probably the biggest positive catalyst. Um, I'll also point to the midterm election rally that we, we typically get, no. right? Stocks have never been down, if I'm not mistaken, in the 12 months after midterms. Mm-hmm. Since right. 1946, <laughs> right? And I'll just Sorry. add this. It doesn't matter who's in power. I think it's like 14.5% Republican, 14.4% Democrat. Bottom line is stocks do pretty well, whoever's in the office a year after those midterms. Yes, so that's positive. And then, you know, again, valuations, I mentioned it. Earnings still holding up. Earnings estimates are still going up. I just checked this morning. It's really incredible. Uh, over $230 in consensus for 2022. That could obviously come down a little bit later in the year. But um, it, it's holding firm, and that is a positive sign. Good numbers from Oracle overnight certainly yep. don't help the, the or don't hurt the case for um, earnings to support this market. And stocks are still attractively valued. You know, the concerns we know, inflation, the Fed, we still haven't gotten um, past the China lockdown issues uh, sure. that are snarling the supply chain. So that is certainly still a concern. We talked about Russia, Ukraine. Technical support, this is a concern. You know, I, I think in markets like this, technicals carry more importance. So we really, you know, we don't, we're not holding 3,800, it appears. Um, so you really don't have much support until about 3,500. And we talked about some supply, some signs of capitulation, but, you know, we don't have kind of the all clear uh, just yet. Yeah, I'm going to jump in real fast on that. So, yeah. 50, so 50% retracement, Jeff, of the entire bull market would be right around 3,500. Our technician on the team, Scott Brown, has said that's, you know, that'd be a little more pain where we are now, but that's a common retracement that you tend to see. Um, and that that's one that he's eyeing. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, there really isn't too much support between, you know, where we are now and 3,500. Right. So um, valuation is not great timing tools, but Again, if the market can uh, get confidence that the earnings are going to come through, then you're going to have some support here. Some buyers start to come in. Um, great time for stock pickers. And Jeff, so, for, I'll just jump in on valuations. Again, Jeremy Stiegel was on CNBC. That was a great, great interview. Check it out if you didn't see it. He pointed out, you know, forward valuate, forward PE multiples are like, you know, 16, 16 and a half ish. But if you take out tech, and we've talked about this before, you take something out, of course, the numbers are better or worse. But take it with a grain of salt. According to Jeremy Stiegel, you take out tech, valuations are like 13. I mean, you know, there, there are some really cheap areas out there. And hey, market's getting hit, so they should be getting cheaper, especially with earnings estimates going higher. But 13, if you take out tech, PE multiple, that is a pretty low number. Yep, small caps trading below PE of 12. Wow. There so you go. there are some pockets. And of- put that in context. That's like one of the lowest numbers ever, right? Or at least lowest, yep. lowest in a long time for small caps, right? It's like 2008, nine lows type there levels. Wow. Really cheap. There you go. That's what I thought. Okay. All right. So what are the concerns, Jeff? <laughs> These should be so I don't many. have any more. How'd you put them all on one page? Let's try to keep this somewhat positive. Yeah. Um, and uh and, and not hit on the concerns. We we know this list, you know. but I just thought it was helpful to list list them out. Um right. it's um it's it's inflation in the Fed. Those are kind of concerns <laughs> one through five, <laughs> you could argue, and then a yeah. few of these other things. We probably could do one through sixty if you wanted to, and all the all the all the variations of of kind of the same worries, honestly. Yeah. Yes, tied to interest rates, of course. Yep. 
Yeah, no, good stuff there. So, all right. So, Jeff, I, I was worried about this. I figured we'd go kind of long. Hopefully, you guys, we don't try to always do the podcast this long, but I think this is a, such a really important conversation going into a bear market. And I want to thank everybody. We've hit some huge uh, listens and views on the podcast recently. Thanks to Neil, as always, our producer, for getting it out there. So that, that means a lot. Jeff, before we go to the final thing, I want to talk about one thing real quickly. Got to fly the other day. Um, I watched Hustle on Netflix with Adam Sandler, where he's like a basketball scout. Have you heard about this movie at all, or have you seen it? I've, I've heard it's excellent, but I have not, not it's seen it. awesome. So like the last little Adam Sandler movies on Netflix, whatever. Not a recommendation to the stock, but my goodness, good thing, right? But like, if you think about it, <laughs> they're kind of goofy. This movie was like a drama. It was serious. I thought, you know, that Uncut Gems was his best movie ever, but this, I would put second. If you, you don't even have to like basketball. It's a basketball movie. But my goodness, it was a really, really, really good movie. So highly recommended. Um, check it out on Netflix. Uh, uh, Hustle with Adam Sandler. Very yeah, good. The Ryan, the Ryan Dietrich top picks list keeps me busy. There you go. There you go. Um, so anyway, Jeff, well, what do we have? Well, wait a minute. We got valuations improved dramatically for bonds and stocks. You want to talk about this briefly yeah. on, on this one before we? I'll uh, just give you the yeah, yeah. the one line. It's one of yeah. the biggest improvements in stock and bond valuations in a year ever. Yeah. Right. And so not only do stocks get more attractive uh, with cheaper valuations, but bonds do too with this big move higher in rates. So um, the 60-40, as we wrote about in our latest weekly market commentary, which you can find on LPL.com, mm -hmm. is not dead in our view. In fact, it's starting to look more, more attractive. Yeah, thanks to you and uh, Barry Gilbert on the team. Barry's been on the podcast before. I thought, you know, we talked about what should we write about. We try to rock, write about what's obviously in right in the news, right? What, what are people talking about in the 60-40? Is it dead? It's a, a common question we hear a lot about uh, because it's been such a rough year for stocks and bonds, but definitely a piece people should check out the latest weekly market commentary. So Jeff, I mean, you were, we're up to the Fed. We're up that, down at the buzzer too. We probably don't want to go too much longer. It's Fed week. Maybe by the time some people listen to this, the Fed will have already uh, done whatever they're going to do. You tell me, Jeff, they're doing 75 or 50. What, what, are you, what are you feeling here on your magic crystal ball? Oh, I'm I... I've been paying attention to the Fed for, you know, 20 years. When you have these leaks to the Wall Street Journal, it, it has been hills and wrath in the past. I guess it's somebody right. else. When you have yeah. these leaks to the Wall Street Journal on what the Fed's going to do, you typically get that. So I think the bias is 75 basis points. Uh, you know, I would have said 50 if, if you'd asked me a couple of days ago. Sure. But right. um, that, that leak gets us ready for this. I think the market will view it positively as a sign that, the Fed still has credibility, at least as an inflation fighter from here. They've lost some credibility, no doubt, um, but uh, I don't think they're going to be too dovish during this cycle. Yeah, this time, like two weeks ago, it was like a 3% chance of a 75 basis point hike. Now it is pretty much priced in. In fact, we're pricing in potentially multiple 75 basis point hikes um, by we, I should say, Fed fund futures are pricing in multiple 75 basis point hikes uh, coming up sooner than later. So, Jeff, we also were sharing on the YouTube channel just what's being priced in. I mean, do you really think, look, I mean, 75, that's my assumption also tomorrow now. You really think, can we really see three in a row at 75? I mean, that's kind of what people are talking about now. You think it's possible? You're saying there's a chance to quote Adam Sandler one more time? <laughs> I think, uh, well, I thought that was dumb and dumber. Yeah, but it's dumb and dumb. We're still Adam Sandler said it, right? I mean, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I got to keep you honest there. So I, th I think, um, you know, when you talk about what the bond market's pricing in is like a 3.6% Fed funds rate mm -hmm. by year end, that just seems fast. So I think the market's doing some of the work for the Fed. So it's going to be tough for the Fed to keep going at 50 or 75 basis points later this year. 
after the market forces um, do their job for longer, right? Like higher mortgage rates are slowing the housing market, right? Financial conditions are tight, tightening. Credit markets, you know, the um, cost of credit is getting more expensive. Wealth effects from the lower stock values and crypto values are going to translate into uh, weaker consumer spending or slower consumer spending growth. So, you know, some of this, um, some of the heat's been taken out of inflation already by the markets. So, um, you know, I have a hard time seeing 3.6% by year end. All right, so I'm just looking to see exactly who it was. Lloyd Christmas, that's who did the official. I knew I'd find it there. I, I wouldn't even listen to the words you just said, Jeff, if I want to get that correct. Lloyd Christmas said, so you're telling me there's a chance, which of course was played by Jim Carrey, yes. the all-time classic, Dumb and Dumber. Good one. Um, yeah, I mean, so, you know, <laughs> great discussion there. Uh, it looks like, you know, we're going to continue to follow. We'll talk about the Fed next week on the podcast. Um, you know, definitely it's top of mind. Uh, no question about it with, uh, again, just feels like every day you turn around and you look and there's a little bit more inflation and a little bit more expectations for higher interest rates. Uh, I'm sorry, for more hikes, I should say. But again, like we said, it all comes down to, can you get improvement in supply chains? Can you get improvement on the war? Can you get improvement in inflation data in general? Maybe all these hikes are being quickly, quickly priced into the market. Maybe we don't quite see as many hikes and that could be again, a positive catalyst. So Jeff, uh, data to watch this week. We've got three bullet points. What are you paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about the Fed, but certainly retail sales, I think will be interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> Hopefully we can get a real gain you know, an inflation adjusted uh, gain in, in retail sales and the consumer continues to uh, hold up. But um, again, it's, you know, what to watch this week, it's fed, 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 and more fed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, isn't it crazy to think that there was a time, I think it was the early nineties when the fed would like hike rates or cut rates or do something. And nobody knew until like maybe a day or two later. I mean, like, like, it, now we we have these bullseyes on these days. We know they're coming. We're, we're, we're obviously they're important, but um, I don't know what how I don't know how you would have done a podcast thirty years ago without being able to talk about the Fed as much as we do. Maybe that's why there were no podcasts. I don't know. You you would have talked about the Greenspan briefcase indicator. Yeah, how big right. does it look? Are there papers hanging out of it? Good point. Yeah, the the, the Greenspan. <laughs> Green, uh, green span briefcase. Kind of hard to say if you're going to talk for 40 minutes. Um, so there you go. Well, Jeff, thank you. Great discussion as always. Thanks to all everyone out there listening and watching. Give us a like, give us a follow. It goes a long way. As again, we're hitting some pretty impressive numbers on this podcast and we really appreciate you guys, the listeners and viewers. If you keep doing it, we'll keep uh, doing these as well. We will see everyone next week with the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals Podcast. See you then. Bye-bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All index 
losses are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through Oakdale Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, Please note, LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.